Good morning. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Join me in prayer, would you? Father, we are so grateful that we can come to you and call you Father, that we can think about who you are and understand that your disposition toward us is one of love and grace, that you have given your Son for us to make us your very own children. And so as we come to your word now, I pray that it would be with hearts eager to receive it, pray that you would speak through it. I pray that you would give us the confidence that we need to persist in prayer and to trust in you for how you will answer. And so speak through your word, Lord. We are listening for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. What is God like? Psalm 103 that we read just a portion of gives us a glimpse of what he is like. Other passages of scripture speak about what he is like. It's a good question to ponder, what is God like? And as we ponder it, and as we look at his word to tell us what he is like, what it ought to do is to lead us to worship him. As we know more of him, we have more to worship him for. Frederick Faber put it this way, only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is. To think the thought, to breathe the name, earth has no higher bliss. So as we think of God and as we try to describe him, we speak in terms of his attributes. Words that describe who he is, words that describe what he's like. Theologians through the years have, have tried to categorize the attributes of God, to put them in various categories to help us get a better handle on them. Most theologies that, that you'll read if you pick up a systematic theology book will categorize them in terms of communicable and incommunicable attributes. For the young folks among us, that means those that he shares with us, communicable, he communicates them to us and those that he does not share with us, incommunicable. So communicable attributes, those that he shares with us, would include such things as love and knowledge and mercy and justice. These are things that characterize him, but he wants them also to characterize us, communicable, things he shares with us. Incommunicable ones, those that he doesn't share with us, would include uh, things like eternity, uh, unchangeableness, or any of the omni words, right? Omnipresence, 
omnipotence, omniscience. Those are are things that, that he alone has. We don't share them with him. But here's the thing about those two categories. There is no attribute that is completely communicable or completely incommunicable. Uh, Take his holiness, for example. We know he is absolutely holy. There is none like him. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 6, these incredible beings would fly around in his presence and call out, holy, holy, holy. He alone is holy. And yet, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he tells us, be holy, for I am holy. So even though he alone has absolute holiness, he wants us to reflect holiness ourselves, not completely communicable or incommunicable. So there's another way of categorizing the way we think of God that that I like. I got it from Millard Erickson's Christian Theology. Attributes of greatness and attributes of goodness. Attributes of greatness speak of who God is in and of himself. Attributes of goodness speak of who God is in relationship to us, to his created order. And so attributes of greatness, who he is in and of himself, would include things like his infinity with regard to space and time and power. He alone is infinite in those things. Attributes of goodness, who he is in relationship to us, would include such things as his righteousness, his justice, his loving kindness, all of those things that that we receive from him because not only is he great, but he is also good. I appreciate the fact that he is both great and good. When I was a little boy, my parents weren't yet believers, and yet we set a table grace every supper time. That would be divided among the kids. It would be our turn in sequence. So we had this little table grace, and I remember the one that said, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Now, I was a little boy back in the age when sugar-frosted flakes uh, were being marketed. Uh, we've, you can't find them anymore, I don't think, but at least they don't talk about sugar anymore in cereal. But the, the main marketer for that was Tony the Tiger, and he said sugar-frosted flakes were great, great, meaning very good, really, really good. So if you've already said God is great, why would you say afterwards that God is good? You know, I, I thought it was being redundant, that little table of grace, and yet I came to realize in time that his greatness speaks of who he is in and of himself. His goodness speaks of who he is in relationship with us. The passage we're looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, deals primarily with an attribute of his goodness, who he is in relationship to us. What's God like? Jesus says, well, he's a lot like a father. He's a lot like a father. Now, in 21st century America, we need to ask, does that still mean what it used to mean? What would someone in the year 2022 think when he or she hears that? 
Might he be abusive? Might he be absent? Might he be detached? So we need to add a little bit of something. We need to say not only is he like a father, he's like a good father. A good father. I am thankful for the reflections of the father nature of God that I have seen here in this congregation. We've got a lot of good dads here. Good dads who look after the interests of their kids. Good dads who want the best for their kids. But the fact of the matter is, even the good dads among us are fallen and flawed and sinful and imperfect at conveying that picture of what God is like. If kids are to look to their dads to understand more of what God is like, I'm afraid we've all let them down. And yet to some degree, even we can still convey that picture as imperfect as we are. We look at our imperfect fathers and we imagine the perfect father. That's what Jesus did in the heart of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And then he invites us, to draw near to that perfect father and express our needs to him, knowing that like a good father, he will provide what we need. The main idea I want to get across this morning is this. God is a good father who delights in giving us what we need. And I've summed the passage up in three words today. They're printed in your program. You'll see them on the screen. Persistence perspective, and perfection. I tried all sorts of ways to package this passage this week. I, I had no fewer than eight other ways to present it that I came up with. And this one, I think, helps us best to understand the passage. Let's look at these. Persistence I get from verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Now, people have speculated as to whether there's some kind of order implied in this. Uh, is, is Jesus taking us from point A to point B in this? Some have suggested that uh, there's a sequence here that grows in intensity. You begin simply by asking, and then you move on to something that's a little more intense, and you're seeking it, and then in the final scene, you're kind of banging on the door. You're, you're knocking. Flip the coin, and there are others who suggest this moves from uh, personal to impersonal that asking is a very personal thing and, and knocking or pounding on a door is very impersonal. It seems to me that all of that is really pretty speculative. But let me tell you a couple things from the passage that we can count on. First, the multiple means of trying to get something done. Asking and seeking and knocking. Multiple means of trying to get something done. One of those is not necessarily more intense or more personal than another. The point is that they're all different from one another. They're all legitimate ways of pursuing something. It reminds me of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul 
It says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Multiple means of prayer, all of them worth doing. Multiple means. Second thing I notice in the passage is the tense of the verbs. Sorry, I love language. These verbs are all present, imperative, active verbs. Imperative, meaning they're commands, and they're present, active verbs, implying continuous action. This isn't just something he's telling us to do once. It is continuous action. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. The point is persistence. Stay at it. Use multiple means. Wrestle in prayer like Epaphras did in Colossians chapter 4. Don't give up. Luke's gospel that we read from earlier puts this instruction in the context of the story of the man who asked for help from a friend in the middle of the night. Let's just uh, take a little close-up look at that, starting at verse 5. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, my door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because of his impudence. My ESV has a footnote that says, or persistence. The Greek word literally means shamelessness. This guy is going to stand there outside his door and continue on shamelessly until the guy responds. Think about the guy at the door. He knows his friend is in there. He knows his friend can get up and help him if he wants to. And so he's going to keep on calling out and knocking at the door. He will keep asking. He will keep seeking help. He will keep knocking. And the point is not that God is like that sleepy friend, that reluctant friend who doesn't want to be disturbed, But if you bug him long enough, he'll finally get up and do something for you. The point is that that's what we're like. And God is so much more willing to provide for us than we are. Now, Matthew doesn't include that story, but he does land on its lesson. Keep on doing the things the man in the parable did. Keep on Asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Persistence. Verse 8 reinforces that persistence and takes it a step further. It gives assurance that our persistence is not in vain. Instead of using present imperatives in verse 8, he uses present participles. Did I mention that I love language? Sorry, little language lesson here. Participles have been described as verbal nouns. They're kind of verbs turned into nouns, nouns that once were verbs. 
Uh, we often recognize them in English as ing words, ing words. And uh, so if you take, for instance, the Great Commission, there is one imperative, make disciples, and there are actually three participles that support it. Uh, going, baptizing, and teaching. All of those are participles that, that speak about how to carry out that imperative, that command of the Great Commission. So here in Matthew 7, where it says, everyone who asks receives, literally it's everyone asking. Or, to make these verbs fully nouns, we would say, askers receive. He's saying, askers receive. You don't get the idea that he's saying here that anyone who asks, even once, will receive. What he's getting at, carrying on this 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 persistence of verse 7 into verse 8, he's saying askers are the ones who receive. Seekers are the ones who find. Knockers are the ones who see doors opened to them. The point? Be an asker. Be a seeker. Be a knocker. Let asking characterize you. Let seeking characterize you. Let knocking characterize you. Again, persistence. And what happens when we become people who persist in prayer? Answered prayer. Sometimes the answer is the one we want, the one we asked for. Sometimes it's not. If we're in tune with the will of the Father, we will ask for the things he wants us to have. And he'll delight in providing what we need to do his good will. If we aren't in tune with the will of the Father, we will find through persevering in prayer that he's not going to give it. The answer will be no. And in a minute we'll talk about why. But verses 7 and 8 show us that Jesus wants us to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. Persistence. Now, the next word is perspective, and I get that from verses 9 and 10. Perspective. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Perspective. What does your experience teach you about what a dad will do? Our experience should teach us first that, that a dad will provide. A dad will provide. That's what dads do. Everyone who heard these words of Jesus that day could relate because every one of them had a dad, just like you and I all have dads, and dads provide I think of my own dad and the things that he provided for me as I was growing up. When I was a little guy, five or six years old, uh, I used to admire him going uh, to work every day in uniform. Dad was in the army 30 years. And so every day he went off in uniform and, and I admired that and he knew it. And one day he brought this little five or six year old a uniform of my own. Little set of fatigues. Man, I wore those things day and night. It was a wonderful gift from a loving father. About a decade later, uh, when I learned to drive, he provided me a car 
that I could use, not that I could have, one that I could use to get around to where I needed to get around to. And then a few years after that, he provided college tuition when the scholarship that I had applied for fell through. And what strikes me about each of those is the delight that he had in providing them. It wasn't a grudging thing. He delighted in providing good gifts for his son. A dad will provide. Our experience should also teach us that a dad won't deceive you. Jesus says, if your son asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? A dad would say, of course I wouldn't do that. You know, around the Sea of Galilee, there were these flat, smooth rocks that looked like the flat, smooth bread loaves that they would bake back then. So imagine, he says, a child going to his dad saying, Dad, could I have a loaf of bread? And the dad goes, sure, take this. And he gives him this stone. What a cruel trick that would be. Or if he asks for a fish, the dad gives him a snake or an eel. A cruel trick. Luke puts in one that that Matthew doesn't include. If the son asks for an egg, will the father give him a scorpion? They have uh, scorpions there that, that, as they snuggle up to a rock, look like an egg. They're, they're kind of that shape. It would be a cruel trick to give that to your son, and, and a good dad won't do that just to get rid of him or to lead him never to ask again. If I give him a trick, he'll, he won't bother asking me again. A good dad doesn't do that. That's the point. We understand that from our experience. That's a part of our perspective. Let me ask you something. Did your dad ever give you something that wasn't good for you? Abusive dads might. But the point is that good dads don't give things that aren't good for their children. If it's not good for the child, the dad won't give it. If your six-year-old Uh, wants to take the keys of the car, to take the car out for a spin, would you give him those keys? You'd be wise not to, right? Why? It's not a good gift. Not a good gift. He's not ready yet. We have perspective gained from our own fathers who did the best that they could for us with what they had. So when Jesus says God is like a father, we have a frame of reference We get the idea, even though our fathers were imperfect human beings. And that brings us to our third point. That is perfection, the nature of our heavenly father. I get that from verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Perfection. God is the perfect Father. We are fallen, flawed, imperfect human beings. Jesus calls us evil in verse 11. And yet, we still give good gifts to our children. How much more then will our Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Who is this addressed to? Who is Jesus speaking to? 
He's speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to children of the heavenly Father, members of the family of God. This is not addressed to everyone. We're not automatically children of the Father. We are adopted as children through Christ. We're not born his children. We are born again to be his children through putting our trust in Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you done that? Have you received him? Have you put your trust in Christ for what he did for you when he substituted his life for yours on the cross, taking his sin, your sin rather, upon himself? That is how we become children of the Heavenly Father. Don't leave here today without knowing that you are God's child through forgiveness that comes only through Christ. And God is the perfect Father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Good gifts. If it's good for you, he will give it. He gives good gifts to his children. In fact, what Jesus is telling us here is that God is more ready to say yes to your good request than you are to give to your own children. The other side of the coin is this. He would not give gifts that are not good for us. Does that explain some no answers you've gotten to prayer? He will not give you a gift that is not good for you. As we persist in prayer and find that God is not giving us the thing that we're asking for, we will come to see that it's either not a good gift or it's not the right time. I knew a guy who actually kept a log of requests and answers between his son and himself for a while. He listed several things that his son asked for that he gave him. And then he listed three things that he as a father said no to. Son asked for a bedtime snack. Dad said no. Why? Not a good gift. Not a good gift. It would lead him not to have a good breakfast in the morning, and his school lunch hour was late. He needed to have a good breakfast. He wouldn't have had that if he had the bedtime snack. No to the bedtime snack. It's not a good gift for you. Son asked for uh, uh, the permission to bring a friend along for a father-son lunch date. Dad said no. Why? Not a good gift. This is a special time between father and son. No one else allowed in to that circle for now. Not a good gift. Son asked to watch a movie on TV. Dad said no. Why? Sin. Dad wanted to watch something else, and he had the remote. Point is this. If you, being sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What is God like? Jesus says he's like a father, a good father, 
a father who isn't fallen and flawed, a father who won't trick you or give you something that's not good for you, a father who delights in giving us what we need. So come to him. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. With all kinds of supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. And trust your Heavenly Father to give you what is good. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll make use of those in the coming week. Let's pray together. Father, what, what a privilege it is to call you Father. We are grateful that in Jesus we could be adopted to be your very children, to know you as our loving Heavenly Father, to draw near to you and to ask you for the things that we need. So Father, help us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, knowing that you are our loving Father and you will give us what is good and if it isn't good, you won't give it. So we trust you, grow our trust as we apply your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.